0: The Ultimate Search. Well, welcome, Victory Church. It is an honor to be here, and um, I'm excited to be able to kick off uh, the series called The Ultimate Search. And today I'm beginning the series by talking about how to read the Bible. And uh, so we're going to go through a few things, and um, I really believe that today is going to encourage you it's gonna produce a hunger in you to get to know the Lord more and to have a hunger and a thirst more than ever to um, really dig into the Word of God and so when we talk about the Bible when we talk about what this is this is the Word of God or we can say it is the words of God these are words promises principles that come directly from God himself to mankind and when we talk about the Word of God, we know that throughout of, throughout history that there have been many that have tried to discount the Bible. They have tried to mock the Bible, ignore the Bible. They have tried to even rewrite the Bible. The, yes, they have even tried to destroy the Bible because it being the Word of God, it changes lives. And we know the enemy, the devil, doesn't like the promises and the words of God. And I could stand here and talk for hours upon end upon... By, about the people throughout the centuries that have sacrificed their lives uh, even to preserve the precious Word of God, the precious Bible. And even today, all around the world, there are those that it is against the law to have the Bible, that if they're found with the Bible or, or taught the Word of God, that they're imprisoned or even persecuted. And so the Bible is important. It is the Word of God that we're going to look at here today, and we're going to learn how to read the Bible But before we get into how to read the Bible, I want to answer a couple of questions briefly. I first want to ask the question, why in the world, you may be watching and you're like, why in the world would I want to even pick up the Bible? It seems like the Bible's boring. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a religious book. I'm not interested in God. I'm not interested in the Bible. Why should I even believe that the Bible is true? And secondly, how do we approach the Bible before we actually read it? So I want to go through something quickly about why should I believe in this book called the Bible. So I want to give you uh, four truths about that. Now, first of all, I want to say that the reason why we can believe the Bible is because it has a past. In other words, it's a historical book. And um, this is not a book that is filled with fables or fairy tales or fictional characters. This is actual history that happened for centuries Uh, whether it's the Old Testament, New Testament, this is a historical book. In fact, what's really interesting is that when we're looking at the Bible, that there are over 100 individuals that are mentioned in the Bible that secular historians have used throughout the centuries. And so this is not just some type of fake news. This is not just some type of uh, fictional story that we're reading. This is actual in the historical account that even secular historians use to confirm things that happened even in the past. There's a a famous historian in the first century, his name was Flavius Josephus, that was a a historian that wasn't a Christian, but he gathered historical accounts about what was going on uh, during the first century. And that lines up with many facts in the Bible. There was a man, his name is Publius Tacitus. I don't know how many have heard of that, that person, but he was a prominent Roman senator that actually wrote historical accounts about the Bible. Then he wasn't even a fan of Christianity, but what he wrote about what was going on was actual, it confirmed what, what the, uh, the Bible talks about just about history. Then we could go into history about archeological evidence. I mean, we could go on for hours. That could be a whole series in itself about the discoveries in archaeology that confirms what the Bible talked about historically. Uh, We could talk about the Pilate Stone. It's a stone inscription uh, that reads uh, during the first century that Pontius Pilate, he was a prefect of Judea. It's written right on the stone. There's evidence of an earthquake in Jerusalem that the Bible records in the 8th century during King Uzziah. So there's evidence that was found. There was actually a nail that was found in the heel of a bone of a crucified man during the Roman rule. And we could go on and on. There's there is a pottery with writing with the name Jerubal, which is his name was Gideon, and that was found during the time of the judges. So we have all kinds of evidence. We could go on and on about that. But the point I want to make is that the Bible is believable because it is... uh, is evidence of historical facts. So, secondly, there's a past. Second, uh, firstly, first thing is there's a past. Secondly, there's a pattern. In other words, the Bible is such an, a phenomenal book that it's actually comprised of sixty-six books, written in a period of over fifteen hundred years and over forty authors. Imagine that. And within the Bible itself, with all of these authors, different times. Uh, and 66 books within the Bible itself there is a pattern and in other words there is unity within the Bible there's a main message there is a message because listen it's inspired by God and God used man to write this message to mankind and so there's a unity there's a pattern of, of a message of redemption to mankind I don't care if you go into Genesis or Psalms or Ezekiel or Matthew or Revelation There is a unity of that that God loves man, God created man, that man sinned and fell against God, that God wanted to redeem mankind unto himself to have eternal life and to restore a relationship with God. There's unity all throughout the Bible. The Bible does not contradict itself. The Bible actually confirms itself. And so it's so important to understand that as you read the Bible. And also, thirdly, Why we can believe the Bible is that not only is there a past or a pattern, but it's actually prophetic. Now, prophecy is an inspired message that comes from God spoken through man. It is a message that man gives, but it comes inspired by God himself. And when we talk about prophecy, and I know there's a lot of things that I'm going to be talking about in this message in a short amount of time, but within prophecy, prophecy is broken up into two main areas, foretelling and foretelling. Prophecy is forth-telling. It is a direct message to the people. For instance, the prophets in the Old Testament would often declare, they would forth which was the majority of their message, they would say, come back to the Lord, repent. Uh, the, Lord, uh, the Lord wants you to be restored unto him. But then also the prophets would also warn and foretell and give future events. So prophecy is a supernatural part of the bible and it's remarkable as you read the bible how prophetic it really is now let's just talk about one subject about prophecy in the old testament and it, that's about the prophecies that relate to jesus christ all about jesus his birth uh, what jesus did when he walked the earth about his crucifixion about his resurrection in fact we could go to isaiah chapter 53 in isaiah prophesied and saw the vision of of jesus the savior the messiah on the cross bleeding on the cross to pay for our redemption in full and when isaiah saw that and when he prophesied about jesus on the cross that was 700 years prior to the birth of jesus christ now i want to kind of read something to you that's really phenomenal about prophecy now there is a professor Many of you may have heard of him, maybe you haven't. His name is Peter Stoner. He's the chairman of the Departments of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College. And he's a chairman of science at Westmont College, and he wrote a book called Science Speaks. And within that book, Science Speaks, he outlines the mathematical probability of one person in the first century fulfilling even just eight prophecies And by the way, the most clear and straightforward prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, concerning Jesus, and he calculated the probability of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies from the Old Testament about Jesus in the New Testament, the probability of one fulfilling eight prophecies was one in ten to the 17th power. That means that out of one out of what's 10 to the 17th power? It is, you could write this on paper, put a one there, and then follow it with 17 zeros after it. That's how, that's the probability, mathematically, scientifically, probability that you can, uh, that there was a, a way for someone to actually fulfill only eight prophecies about Jesus. Now, Then he did the math. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies was 1 in 10 to the 157th power. In other words, write a 1. You may not have time today to do this. And write 157 zeros after. That's 1 out of fulfilling 48 prophecies. That is the probability of someone fulfilling that. Did you know that Jesus Christ fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies? These are men that prophesied specific things about Jesus Christ. And when we're just talking about prophecy. and when I'm just talking about the subject of Jesus alone. The prophets prophesied many other things in the Old Testament, and there's prophets in the New Testament. Let me just say this to you. It is a miracle it is a miracle and believable because of the prophetic word of God. When God says something, he, he promises it, and it will happen. And so it is a prophetic book, and it's very awesome to know that. So you, you can believe the word of God because <laughs> over 300 prophecies Jesus has already fulfilled in the Old Testament. The probability of that, well, whew, that's amazing. Now, fourthly, how can you believe, why can you believe the word of God? Because there's power within the word and that is really one of the most transformational truths about the word of god is that the word of god is powerful hebrews 4 verse 12 says for the word of god is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. two edged sword second timothy 3:16 all scripture is given by inspiration of god when jesus was on earth and he talked in john chapter 6 verse 63 He says, the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. You see, you may be watching and be like, yeah, okay, I understand it's historical and wow, yeah, there is a unity and that's amazing that the prophetic, now I got my attention because now I know, wow, my my ears are perked up, my eyes are, yeah, this has got to be a supernatural book because of prophetic things that have already happened and been fulfilled. But then when you talk about the Word of God and when the Word comes into your life and you receive the Word of God, no matter what promise, no matter what principle, understanding that when God said it, it's the truth and it actually is transformational. That this Word that we have is not a dead book. It's not just a historical fact, but it's actually the Word that God speaks to you. And since it's the Word that God speaks to you, whatever He speaks... For you and to you it will have an effect on you and the bible says in isaiah 55 that god says that when i when i send my word it accomplishes exactly what i want it to accomplish so when you receive the word of god it is the same powerful authoritative word that god said let there be light and start and light happen in other words whatever god says there's authority and power and transformational power In it, and the Word of God will transform your life. Now, how do I approach the Word of God? You say, Okay, I want to look into this Word. How do I approach it? Now, number one, when we approach the Word of God, it's important that we come to God with an open heart. When I come to the Bible, when I read the Bible, I'm not going to the Bible so that we're like, Okay, I got to try to argue the Bible away. Though, even if you try to do that, I'm telling you, the Word of God, if you're open and honest and humble, it will show you the truth of what it is and what God is saying. It's so important for us to understand that when we come with an open heart and we say this, coming to God with an open heart is saying, Lord, this is the Bible, even though there's two things we gotta remember. Lord, even though I don't understand it all, and Lord, even though some of it is even uncomfortable, I wanna know what the truth is. Jesus said in John 17, 17, he said, Lord, your word is truth. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's saying, look at my truth of my word is going to set you free. And I don't know what, who you're watching here today. You say, man, my life is in shambles, or I'm struggling with something. I need healing. I have a, a circumstance that I, I don't understand what's going on. I'm here to tell you that you can go to the word of God and receive with an open heart all that God wants to do in your life. And that truth is going to set you free. It will break chains in your, in your emotions and your wrong thinking and, and addictions that you have. And I'm telling you, when the word of God comes and you come to God with an open heart and you say, Lord, I want to know your truth. Psalm 51.6 says that God desires truth in my inward being. David said in Psalm 25.5, lead me in your truth and teach me. So we come to God with an open heart. Secondly, we come to God with a surrendered heart and this takes us a step further lord not only am i open to what the word is i i don't lord i don't come to to argue i just come to say lord what's the truth of your word and what's the truth for my situation but god i come to your bible when i come to the bible i come already surrendered to you God, I come to say, Lord, you could do what you want with me. You could say what you want. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will free from you. You see, in the natural world, when we surrender, it means that we have lost. But in the spiritual world, when you surrender to God and you say, Lord, I come to your word, And I come surrendered. You tell me what to do. You tell me which way to go. And Lord, I'm here to tell you I'm not here to argue. I'm not here to resist. I come with my hands stretched out as a sign of my life in my heart saying, Lord, I surrender to you. Do what you want. Free me, Lord. Lord, I surrender to whatever you say. God, I just want you to have your way in my heart. I want your your word to do a work in my life. Lord, I need you. And I surrender to you. Surrendering to the Lord." will give you the benefits of what the Word of God wants to do in your life. And then thirdly, when we come to God and we come to the Word, we have to understand, not only do we come with an open heart, and as we come surrendered to God, we have to understand this, by the way. When you come surrendered to Him, that means I say, God, when you're surrendered to God, you're saying, God, I I want my life to conform to what you say. You see, a lot of times... Even this world or even those within the church, they say, Lord, I want your word to fit my life. But what God wants us to do is say, Lord, I want my life to fit your word. It's so different. And when you're surrendered to God, you're saying, Lord, let your word change me. And God, I want my life, I, my life, I'm aligning it with what you say. I don't want your word to fit what I want to do. Lord, what I think what should happen or, or what I believe, Lord. I want to submit to you and surrender to you. But thirdly, We need to come to the Word of God with a hungry heart. Let me just say this out of experience, that the more that you taste and see that the Lord is good, the more that you're going to hunger to read the Bible. In fact, the more that you experience God's Word, and the more that God's Word begins to build in you, begins to even direct you, guide you, convict you, Uh, heal you, restore you, build you up, strengthen you. When you receive that from God's word and God's nature in your life, when you do that, you're going to come hungry to know the word of God. There's two types of hunger. There's one, I need to live, so I need to eat. And then there is, I want to enjoy that food, I want to eat. And those things give us a hunger for the word of God. It's, God, I need your word. Without it, I can't live. Lord, I can't, without reading your Bible, without reading your word, I can't live. I need you. I need your life. And your words have life. It's like when, when even though when Jesus was preaching in John chapter 6, the Bible says that there were many disciples, in other words, many followers of Jesus that followed him, and Jesus was talking something that was very difficult for people to understand, and just because they didn't understand and they were uncomfortable with what Jesus said, the Bible says that there were many disciples that walked no more, but when, when Jesus turned to the twelve, he said, and what are you going to do? What, what do you want to do at this point? And Peter stood up, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Your words have life. In other words, I've been transformed, I'm changed, I'm never going to be the same again. Why in the world should I go back to where I was when your word did a great, work, a great work in my life and transform me? And Peter and the disciples hungered for Jesus, they wanted to be around him. Todd White is an evangelist and he leads a ministry called Lifestyle Christianity. He says this, and you could you could relate to this physically and spiritually, but he quotes, he says, a lack of hunger is never normal and so i want to challenge you you know who know jesus and you're watching this do you have a hunger for the bible have you lost your hunger or have you been trying to satisfy your life and trying to meet your needs and trying to get your answers and other things that this world tries to give to you that listen will not satisfy you the word of god will satisfy you because it is food from heaven and this is the amazing thing about the word of god and and who Jesus is, is that Jesus and his word is the only thing that will satisfy you, but at the same time, you'll be hungry for. You will desire more because you're only satisfied when you read the Bible and you get to know Jesus. So we come to the Lord and we come to the Bible. When we read it, we got to come with an open heart. We come surrendered and let's come hungry. And so how do we read the word? This is very simplistic, in fact. You say, well, how do I really read it? I, I understand, I believe it, or at least I'm curious to understand it and to figure out if this is a real deal. I'm going to come open, I'm going to come surrendered, I'm going to try my best, coming hungry, and let me promise you, the more you read it and when God does things in your life, you're just going to get more hungry for God and more for his word. You say, how do I read it? you gotta, you got to ask four questions. One, what is it saying? What is the Bible saying? In other words, what's the real meaning? What's going on? Who, who's the author in that book? Who is he talking to? What's the circumstances going around it? What's the chapter saying, not just the verse, even though the verse could speak to you and minister to you in a powerful way? What, how do, what's the meaning of that verse? What does it actually mean in that context to the, the people that they were talking to? In the, in, the, in the context of the whole Bible and the unity of the Bible, what does it mean? And then the second question, you don't just ask what is it saying, but what is it saying to me? So you look at the meaning of the word and then you say, okay, God, what are you trying to say through this passage for my life? How does it, Lord, what are you saying to me? How are you convicting me? How are you guiding me in this situation? And this word, in this passage, how are you ministering to me? What do you want to say to me? So what is, what is the Bible saying? What is it saying to me? And then thirdly, what do I do? How do I act upon what the Bible is saying, what what God is saying to me in this passage because I know what the meaning is. Now I know how to apply that to my situation. And how many know God knows how to apply the Bible in your specific situation because he loves you and he knows you and he wants to minister to you. Isn't that awesome? And so we got to ask, what is it saying? What is what is the word? What is the Bible saying to me? And then what do I do based on it? And that's my obedience. You see, we look at the meaning of the word. What is it saying? Then I say, what is it saying to me? I apply it to my life. But then what do I do? How do I respond? to what God is saying to me? How do I obey? What do I have to do? What changes do I have to make? Uh, in 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 the situation of my struggle, my circumstance, and the decisions that I'm making in my life, how is this applying to my life? And what step do I need to take in order to apply this to my life? So, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? What do I do? And then the last thing, and what is the result? You know, when we obey God and we apply God's word to our life and we follow it, God wants to bless you. God wants to give you healing. God may want to give you restoration between uh, a, a, a second or third party in a relationship and a family. God may want to guide you and, and help you in making a decision. He may be giving you a wisdom. And, and so when you read the word and you apply it to your life and then you obey it, there is a great result, and it's called the blessing of God. And God wants you to move forward as you read the Word in the Bible, knowing that the Bible is true, that it is the Word and the words of God, and that as you come open and surrendered and hungry for God, God will lead you and guide you into all truth so that your life can completely, completely be changed. Now, let me apply this with a verse that I want to read. I want to read, and I want to do this in closing, John chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Now, I want to apply this passage to how we can read the word of God. So, Let's say you're reading the word of God and you read this verse. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You say, okay, first of all, what is this saying? Well, of course we look at that verse, but we look at what's going around this verse. We see that John is writing this. It's a gospel, talking about the life of Jesus. And we see within this chapter, listen, in this chapter, it begins John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and then it talks about later in verse 14 after and the word became flesh and dwell among us and we beheld his glory and the glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth so we know that the word is related to Jesus Christ and so we know that we're talking about When it says, but as many as received him, the Bible's saying as many as received Jesus, to them Jesus gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name as you dig into the word of God. And we look at the word believe and as you study and as you read and you look in the book of John, uh, in John's gospel, he talks about that word believe so many times. And that word believe doesn't just mean believe about Jesus. But it literally means to believe in or to trust in or to believe upon or to rely or depend upon fully, to put your full weight upon. So what it means what that means is as we look at the scripture, but as many as received him to them he became the right to become children of God, to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. so that's what it means and what is it saying to me and you may be watching you say man i have never trusted in jesus i've never received jesus because that's what it's saying to me it's saying to me man i You know, I remember when I came to Christ, I was in high school, and when I began to understand that, look at John chapter 3, it says, unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. I put A and B together. I said, first of all, I'm not born again. Number two, that means if I'm not born again, I've never believed in Christ. I've never put the trust in, in my life in what Jesus did fully on the cross for the payment of my sin. If I've never received Jesus personally in my life, that I don't have eternal life, but I have eternal separation and damnation under eternal uh, uh, separation from God forever and ever and ever, and I'm going to pay for my sin for all of eternity in torment, what the Bible talks about, and the unity of the Bible talks about that. But the good news is that this passage, that's what it means to trust and to receive Jesus, and what it's saying to me is, I remember back then, hmm, I haven't done this. I'm in trouble if I haven't. But the great news is I get to have a relationship with Jesus and promised, assured, eternal life if I do believe in him, if I do receive him, if I do receive Christ into my life. (laughs) And so what do I do? Well, with this passage, it's very easy to know what to do because I'm open to God and I'm open to his love. And I'm open to receive whatever God wants to do in my life. And so in order to read this word and to understand it, when I'm reading this Bible passage, I know what I need to do. Jesus, I need to trust you. And I want to personally ask you into my life, receive you. And the Bible, and and you say, look at this passage, you say, well, what's the result? The result's a changed life. The result's my sins forgiven. The result is I become a child of the living God. I have a relationship with God. The result is I no longer have to fear dying because I'm not going to be going to a place that the Bible clearly talks about a hell separated from God because as I look forward in John chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, "...for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes or trusts in him should not perish." But will have everlasting life. So, the result of of reading this passage is that God is saying that I need to believe and receive in Him, and so I'm going to believe and receive in Him. God, I do that even right now, and so I could have eternal life in a relationship with God. And you see, this is where understanding and knowing Jesus, this is where understanding His Word begins. It begins by receiving Christ who freely gave himself on the cross so that you could be completely forgiven of all your sin and that you could receive the holiness of God. And it's only not by your works but through grace, by grace through faith that you could receive him. And I'm going to ask you, you're watching right now and you say, I've never made this decision to trust in Jesus and to receive him. Is it really that simple? Yeah. (laughs) Now, what makes it very difficult is our pride. Because our pride wants to reject, our pride wants to push off. But it's simple in the fact that you don't have to work for it, you can't earn it. What Jesus wants you to do is just receive. And so I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And I want to encourage you to pray that prayer. Pray this prayer that I prayed when I was in high school. And let me tell you something. When I prayed this prayer in high school, I felt the freedom of God... Come into my life. He completely changed my life once and for all. And it was at that moment that I received the grace of God and His great unconditional love that I no longer saw this Bible as just a religious do's and don't, but I actually understood this Bible. And it was, I'm telling you, it was like scales fell off my eyes. It was like a blindness literally came off my eyes. And when I read the Word of God, then I actually began to understand it because now I was able to understand the Word of God through the eyes of grace and what God had already done for me. So if that's you here today... You want to receive Jesus. I want you to just bow your heads and say this prayer. Can you just repeat this prayer after me? Close your eyes and make it personal. Just say, Jesus, I thank you that you're real. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me and that you rose again. And Jesus, right now, I believe in or I trust in fully in what you did on the cross for my sins. You died and bled on that cross for my sins, and you took my payment. You took the wrath of God. You took the judgment. And Lord, I thank you for doing that for me. Thank you for loving me. And I put my trust in you, Jesus. I believe you rose again, and I ask you even now. I receive you as my Savior. Come into my life. I open my heart. I open the door of my life. Just come in, Lord, and save me, I pray, in your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, the good news is you have just enjoyed and experienced the fruit of believing the word, of receiving what Jesus did. And the result is you are now a child of God. So I want to encourage you, get into this word, begin to read this word, know that this is for you and not against you. It is God's love letter of redemption and life. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again.